Hola and good evening. Welcome to Catholic View. I'm Sheila Pierce. Thank you so much for joining me on this Freedom Day. Coming up in today's broadcast, being a Thursday, we're doing things slightly different. We're taking a look at the 18th Apostolic Journey of Pope Francis. But first, as usual, we begin with some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa. So do stay tuned. Hi, I'm Archbishop Peter Wells, Apostolic Nuncio. Thank you for listening to Radio Veritas, the good news for a change. And in your headlines this Thursday evening, we look at Pope Francis' apostolic journey to Cairo. And Zambia gets ready to host the 5th Pan-African Congress on Faith and Alcohol. Good evening once again, I'm Sheila Pirish. We begin with church news. Pope Francis on Thursday reflected on the fact that being Christian is not a social status. Speaking during the homily at the Mass in the Casa Santa Marta, the Pope said Christians must be witnesses of obedience to God like Jesus was. The Pope said that Peter, who out of fear had betrayed Jesus on Holy Thursday, this time around courageously answered the high priest saying that we must obey God rather than men. The Pope also pointed out that Jesus is not the testimonial of an idea, of a philosophy, of a company, of a bank, or of power. He is a testimonial of obedience. However, Francis explained that to become a witness of obedience, we need the grace of the Holy Spirit. Pope Francis concluded his homily saying that in order to be witnesses of obedience like Jesus, it is necessary to pray, to recognize that we are sinners with much worldliness in our hearts, and to ask God for the grace of becoming witnesses of obedience, and to not be afraid when we are insulted and persecuted, because, as the Lord said, the Spirit will tell us what to answer. And now we look at the apostolic voyage to Egypt. Pope Francis is due to take his 18th apostolic journey abroad tomorrow with a two-day visit to Egypt. Father Douglas May is an American marinal priest who has been based in Egypt for over 25 years. He told Vatican Radio's Susie Hodges that whilst there is excitement over the papal visit to Cairo, fear and anxiety over their future has increased amongst the nation's Christian population following the Palm Sunday bombings at two Coptic churches. Well, partly because of what happened on Palm Sunday with the two Coptic Orthodox churches, there's a wee bit more anxiety than when John Paul II visited in February of 2000. But one of the things that at least was true back then, and I would presume it's somewhat true now, is because the Coptic Rite Catholics and the other six Catholic Rites in Egypt are minorities within a minority, because the Coptic Orthodox obviously have a much greater number, and so very often they feel that they're kind of getting it from both sides, both from Muslims as Christians and a wee bit from the Orthodox as a minority group of Christians. But what I've heard in the past 
is for Coptic Rite Catholics and Catholics in general, of the seven different rites that we have here in Egypt, they basically say, this is the first time I'm proud to be both Christian and Catholic at the same time. Because very often they're somewhat defensive about being Christian in a Muslim environment, and they're somewhat defensive about being Catholic among the Orthodox. Turning to Egypt's Coptic community, how much concern mm-hmm. is there about their future, about the situation there, in the wake of that Palm Sunday terrorist attack, which was, of course, was only the latest in quite a long line of terrorist attacks against right. their community? Well, the anxiety increases as these attacks increase. The one thing I would say is that even Christians living in Christian villages, there there are few Christian villages here, but they still have them. And for instance, I was visiting one where I'd spent time in the past and had friends, and there were about somewhere around 40,000 people. And maybe at least 95, if not 99%, are actually Christian of six different affiliations. And it was the first time I spent time with them, and some of them are fairly successful from having worked in the Gulf states and have a fair amount of money, but it's the first time even the successful ones who have fairly nice houses and a decent lifestyle have said, if I could leave, I would leave, because I'm tired of feeling vulnerable in a country that I should call my own, because I'm being tolerated at best, but I'm not being accepted as an equal citizen, and what we're afraid of is, you know, you're walking the streets, you walk, you're in the church, somebody may shoot you, somebody may put a bomb in the church. The other thing is in these villages, they could actually have their water cut off, their electricity cut off, or even the villages sealed off. So whether that's a reality or not, we're all anxious about that as a possibility. Pope Francis' meeting with the Coptic Orthodox leader, Pope Tawados in Cairo, will be an important sign of solidarity with Christians who suffer and die for their faith in Egypt and throughout the Middle East. Monsignor Gabriel Quirke is in charge of the Office for Dialogue with the Oriental Orthodox Churches at the Vatican's Council for Christian Unity. Speaking to Vatican Radio's Philippa Hitchin, Monsignor Quirke says Pope Francis' encounter with Tawados will be an important continuation of the ecumenical path towards full and visible unity of the churches. I felt during the meeting between Paul Tawados and Cardinal Koch uh, close to Alexandria that not only the Coptic Orthodox Church but all Christians, the whole Muslim community and in fact Kul Masr, all Egypt, is waiting for the visit of the Pope, all Egypt. So it is not only a matter of an encounter between the two Popes. Surely that will be very significant, the continuation of the ecumenical path towards full and visible unity. That will be a very important dimension, but also the opportunity for the Holy Father to meet with the Catholic community because also this can encourage all of us to strengthen the bonds of fraternity and solidarity between all Christians. But then also there will be the encounter in the Al-Azhar University, where the Holy Father will refer to the fact that one can never use violence in the name of God, in the name of religion, because this is a contradictio in terminis. Eh? Do you think this visit can do anything to encourage 
moderate Muslims at Al-Azhar and elsewhere to work more closely with Christians in this fight against ISIS and other extremist groups? For sure, because the fact that the Pope will have an encounter in the Al-Azhar University is very meaningful. In that solemn encounter, it can be emphasized that the Catholic Church and the Muslim community can continue their collaboration for peace and justice, not only in Egypt, but also in the Middle East and everywhere where there are tensions. And missionary Komboni sister Samiha, the principal at St. Joseph's Catholic School in Cairo, hopes the Pope's visit will foster tolerance and act as an example of acceptance and love, despite religious differences in the nation. Egypt is the land of peace, and Egypt is considered as the holy land because the holy family uh, takes place in, in Egypt. Uh, also, this visit of Pope uh, Francis to, to Egypt, I, I think it will increase the respect between uh, all people in uh, different re- religions and uh, increase also the element of tolerance and uh, to be merciful to one another, uh, the values of uh, love and peace and uh, the culture of peace. And I think this uh, visit will stimulate the how to live uh, together in peace with uh, with much respect and acceptance. We have many Muslims, so Muslims and Christians live together in peacefully, and they accept each other. Still with the Catholic Church in Africa, a Capuchin friar was killed and a deacon badly wounded when would-be robbers broke into a friary in Madagascar on April 22nd. According to Fidesz News Service reports, a young deacon named Jeremy was on duty when the assailants burst into the offices of Radio Don Bosco in the early hours of the morning. Father Eric Frank rushed to the scene with a shotgun but was immediately shot and killed. Police have arrested several suspects in connection with the crime. The robbers are believed to have been hoping to seize the friary's bell, which could have been melted down and sold on the black market. An earlier robbery attempt had been thwarted during Holy Week when friars frightened off intruders. Jesuit Father Charles Sierson is Zambia's national director of the Pioneer Total Abstinence Association of the Sacred Heart. It is an international Catholic organization. The association does not advocate for the prohibition of alcohol, but does require of its members the complete abstinence from alcohol, drugs, and smoking. The Zambian Pioneer Association is preparing to host the 5th Pan-African Congress on Faith and Alcohol to be held in the Zambian capital of Lusaka this August. Alcohol has always been part of life in most of sub-Saharan Africa. It is widely available in many traditional ceremonies such as harvest festivals, weddings and funerals. So alcohol in itself is not Africa's problem. The biggest challenge is said to come from binge drinking. According to experts, this is drinking too much alcohol in a short space of time, with the express intention of getting drunk. 
For the CSN and his team believe governments in Africa could do more. They refer, for example, to Zambia's Liquor Licensing Act, which regulates the sale and supply of intoxicating liquors. In Zambia, underage drinkers can easily buy cheap and strong spirits, and pubs sometimes stay open beyond stipulated hours. There are around 100 million African children out of school, which is endangering the global push towards the 2030 Sustainable Development Goals, otherwise known as your SDGs. That's according to the former president of Tanzania, Jakaya Kikwete, who is leading the Education Commission's push to convert its call for new ways of financing classrooms around the world into action. Matthew Wells asked Mr. Kikwete, who was in Washington. To discuss the Education Commission's work at the World Bank Spring meetings to outline the challenges. There are too many children who, children and young people who are supposed to be at school, who are out of school. The figure is 263 million. 100 million of them are in Africa. Many of those who are in school are not completing their education. In primary school, for example, in low-income countries, only 67 percent are completing their, their education. That's an alarming situation. So, how can you persuade、um, African leaders to accept what are going to be quite fundamental domestic changes to the to how they how they perceive education, how they how they treat education? In all these African countries, in terms of budgetary allocations, education is the leading sector. Some of the countries I visited is 30 percent, but we are talking of 30 percent of of a small cake, 20 percent of a small cake. So there is still huge gaps that 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 need to be closed. And that, and that is where the, 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 the international community is, is, is critical. So we looked at the contribution of the international community. ODA for education has been declining. In 2002, it was 13 percent. Now it is 10 percent. So the commission is what the commission is saying is reverse this trend and increase ODA to 15 percent. Then it, it became evident that even if ODA is increased to 15 percent, there will still be funding gaps. So we said, okay, let's look at innovative ways. And the, hence the proposal of international financing facility for education. The facility is going to be supported by two bilateral donors and the multilateral development banks. And how well has this very ambitious compact idea been received by the leaders that you that you've spoken to so far? Oh, in, in the African countries, it's been received very well, and many of them have written to 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 to, chair, to our chairman, Prime Minister Gordon Brown, supporting the idea. In the capitals of developed countries, if the proposal is received well, then we we, we have increased the resources for. For education, if it is not received, then we have got to depend on ODA, which is declining. We have got to look for other innovative ways of, of, of addressing the challenges of education in developing countries. What kind of help can the UN system be in helping this big idea become a reality for the world's of children? Course, of course, the, the UN has, has a bigger role. We, we presented our report to, to Secretary General Ban Ki Moon at that time. He's supportive. The UN, the UN Special Envoy of,、uh, for Education, former Prime Minister Gordon Brown of the United Kingdom, is the, is the chair of, of, of the Commission. So we look, we look forward that the, the UN will also be supportive. We hear the President of the General Assembly is organising discussion on, 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 on SDG4 next month. And so, when do you hope that African children will start to see the benefit of this, and, and, and other children around the world? They're already benefiting, but not benefiting. Enough. We want all of them to benefit. We want them, all of them, to get. To, no, nobody should be left out. They should get preschool, primary school, and secondary school. All of them. As the SDG 4 says, all children should have access to quality education by 2030. In, in fact, it's, it's not a new proposal by the by the Commission. They are just giving it, giving proper focus. The SDG made a general call. 
Now the commission is making a particular call on, on what really needs to be done to make sure that the SDG4 is, is implemented. And finally, according to announcement by the Vatican's Office for the Liturgical Celebrations of the Supreme Pontiff, Pope Francis will ordain several transitional deacons to the priesthood on the fourth Sunday of Easter, May 7th, in St. Peter's Basilica. And those were your headlines from the Catholic Church and Africa Today. Thank you once again for joining me this evening. Hope you're enjoying your Freedom Day. I'm Sheila Pirsch, and you're listening to Catholic View right here on Radio Veritas. Coming up next, we take a look at Pope Francis' 18th apostolic journey. Leaders of Christianity's East and West are in Egypt for a two-day international peace conference ending on Friday, the 28th of April, with an address by Pope Francis. Although some Italian media outlets say Pope Francis' meeting with the Orthodox Coptic Pratyak Tawadus II is one of the highlights of this trip, Dominican Father Jean Druel, the director of the Dominican Institute for Oriental Studies in Cairo, says the highlight of the papal visit to Cairo is his meeting with Sheikh Ahmed El Tayyib, a grand imam of Egypt's Al-Hazar University. Father Jean Druel also spoke to me about some of the expectations around Pope Francis' visit. I am right now in the uh, in the conference hall. We have more than 400 people waiting for the conference to begin in 10 minutes. Um, lots of people from all kinds of religions, uh, all types of gowns they are wearing and colors, ladies and, and gentlemen from everywhere. It's really exciting. We are waiting, um, expecting a very high-ranking um, religious leaders um, the one, uh, two female leaders and like maybe 15 male leaders uh, expected to talk today uh, from all uh, countries. It's really exciting. We hear, we've been hearing all types of languages. Now, is this conference in preparation for Pope Francis' arrival tomorrow? Well, actually, it's the first day. This, it's, it's a two-day uh, conference. So Pope Francis is concluding the conference tomorrow. So we have a full day of work today, more than, I think, 18 uh, lectures the whole day until 9 tonight. Um, and tomorrow we will have the concluding session by uh, the Pope Francis and Sheikh Ahmed al So both of them are going to conclude this, uh, this uh, conference. So it's one same conference. Father Jean, following all the terrorist attacks on Palm Sunday, what's the mood now like in terms of security? Well, actually, it's a bit saddening to, to see and to hear people tell us, uh, the Christians tell us that uh, violence has to be part of our daily life. Uh, and this is a bit, a bit sad because now people are kind of resigned and I mean, they believe there is no escape. So they tell us every day there will be more violence, we know, but uh, we hold strong in our faith and nobody will prevent us from going to church and pray. So this is really humbling and, and, uh, and we feel very little. Um, everybody knows that all these jihadi uh, combatants, that are the, the jihadis from Daesh, uh, are now leaving uh, Syria and Iraq. 
end, uh, they, um, <clears throat> they are now trying to enter Egypt and destabilize the country. Um, here, uh, one way of destabilizing the country is to, um, to focus on Islamic Christian relations. Uh, in Libya, for example, they try to destabilize the country uh, by um, playing uh, between the tribes. In Iraq, it was between Shia and Sunni. But here in Egypt, it's between Christians and Muslims. So they try to uh, split the country between uh, Christians and Muslims. Everybody hopes it will not happen. We try to stand strong together, but we know that we will have to suffer more violence in the coming day, in the coming weeks and months. That's almost certitude. One of the highlights of Pope Francis' visit is the meeting with the Orthodox Coptic Patriarch Tawadus II. Now, what are your expectations following Pope Francis' visit to Cairo? Well, actually, uh, I'm sorry to tell you, it's absolutely not the highlight. Uh, Pope Tawadros is a very nice person, but he's not, uh, he's, uh, he's behind him, he has a bunch of uh, very conservative bishops. They have no uh, friendship for Catholics. So uh, he will meet only for half an hour, and uh, it will be a very short visit. The highlight of the Pope Francis' visit is Al Azhar University and, and Sheikh, uh, not the, the, the Orthodox. So it was unbelievable that he would come and not greet the Pope. But the meeting Pope Francis for Tawadros is the maximum he can do. Uh, never the bishop behind him will let him uh, discuss any topic with the Pope. Uh, the, the interesting topics would be, uh, for example, finding a common date for Easter, or um, speaking of inter-community marriages, like, for example, between Catholics and Orthodox. But the bishops are extremely conservative, and they will never let the Pope Tawadros discuss those topics. So uh, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you it's absolutely not the focus of this trip, and uh, it's there because they had to meet, I mean, but no more, unfortunately. And what are your expectations of Pope Francis' visit to Egypt? Pope Francis really wants to show the world that uh, Muslims and Christians, uh, we stand on the same side against terrorism and terror and, and violence and, and, and ignorance. So he wants to show the world there is no religious war uh, going on. We stand on the same side. Uh, this is a very powerful, symbolic and effective message he wants to carry. And I can see it right now in the, ho in the conference hall. We are here from all kinds of religions. I see like Christians from all denominations, Muslims from all denominations, Shia and Sunni, uh, Catholic and Orthodox and Anglicans and, and Protestants and everybody is here. We want to show the world, he wants to show the world that religions stand together against ignorance, violence, terror, uh, death. So we stand on the same side. And this, I think, is a very big outcome that we are expecting. Now, Father, out of your own personal experience as a Catholic priest in Egypt, what's life like for the Catholic community in Egypt? Catholic community in Egypt is extremely small. Uh, actually, we have here in Egypt 10 million Orthodox, 10 million uh, Orthodox Christians, and only 200,000 200, Catholics. And those 200 Catholics are very divided. Uh, we have seven different churches, seven different Catholic churches in Egypt. Uh, Coptic Catholics are the majority, Coptic Catholic. Then you have the Greek Catholic, 
Then you have the Maronites, you have the uh, Syriac Catholics, you have the Chaldean Catholics, you have Latin Catholics, you have... So we have seven uh, Catholic de denominations. Um, unfortunately, a bit divided, uh, but we are nothing if compared to the 10 million Coptic uh, Orthodox. Even here, uh, the Catholics have traditionally a very big social impact. We have many schools, hospitals, so we have a much bigger uh, social impact than our small number. And people welcome us very well. Uh, all the uh, half of the students in our schools are Muslim. Uh, it's, uh, so we have very good, uh, very, very nice and warm welcome in, uh, in uh, Egypt, really. Well, Father Jean, I understand you have to run back to the conference now. Yes. Thank you so much for your time. Any last words that you'd like to leave with our listeners? Thank you. Thank you for, for listening to our message of peace from here in the middle of, of I can say, some fear of uh, what's happening around us. But we do want to send a message of peace and uh, to the world. So uh, thank you for uh, giving me the chance to tell this to everybody. And that's how we come to the end of today's broadcast of Catholic Viewer, program produced and presented by Sheila Pirsch for Radio Veritas. Happy Freedom Day once again. I'll be back tomorrow evening at the same time. Until then, God bless you and ciao, ciao. I'm Sheila Pirsch.